Good morning, good morning, church family. Wow, um, we've got a lot going on in the spiritual realm uh, in this church. And uh, do not fear. It's good. We know the outcome. And I want to encourage you to stand on solid ground and to not allow yourself to be shaken, not allow yourself to be overcome with fear or heaviness, despair, confusion, or anything that the enemy would be trying to throw against you. He loves us very, very much. There's a lot to share. Um, let me start with this. I have a couple of verses I'd like to read that plants the foundation for where we're going today. And uh, we'll see where Holy Spirit takes us. There's a couple of different paths I believe he showed me even very early this morning. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it will be as he desires and as he wills. I did not provide these scriptures to... I can't actually see who's working up there, but if you can catch up with me, that's great. If not, just listen very, very carefully. I'd like to start in Ephesians on chapter 6, uh, verse 12. I'm going to look at New King James Version. New King James Version, Ephesians 6, 12. Oh, you're very fast. I, well, my goodness, I didn't realize you were that fast. Okay. <clears throat> For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So I'll read it one more time, but I'm not going to speak to it just yet. I want it to marinate in you a little bit. It's quite a mouthful. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. If you could put a period there, that would be a good place for a period. I'll come back to that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I'm going to ask you, if you could, to just switch the same verse, but let's show it in, N in the New Living Translation, uh, NLT, New Living Translation. And I'll go ahead and start reading this. In New Living, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So if that's not clear from the New King James Version, I want to make it more clear in the New Living Translation Version. Flesh and blood means people. We're not fighting against people. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. So what does unseen mean? You can't see it. It's unseen which is why it can be very tricky sometimes, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, the world around us, and against evil spirits in heavenly places, in the different, in the heavenly realms. I'm going to come back and speak on these in a minute, but I want, I want these to get in your, in your heart. Let's look at Psalm... Excuse me. Let's look at 2 Timothy 1, 7. New King James. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. So for God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you, if you experience fear, that is not from God. And notice it says spirit. It doesn't say an emotion or a thought or a feeling. It is a spirit. I know sometimes people get a little freaked out when we talk about spiritual things in a church. It's okay if we say, Holy Spirit, that sounds good, bring it on. What about when we talk about evil spirits? I understand fully, we glorify God to a magnitude far, 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 far beyond what we're going to be lifting up the enemy. But if you're in a war and you don't recognize you have an enemy, you will not win. The enemy that we're warring against is not what? I don't think I heard that. The enemy that we are not warring against, so it's, who's not our enemy, is what? So, over on this side, the enemy that we're not warring against is what? It's really important we get this in our mind. Uh, in the, just in our normal everyday life with our own family. Uh, in our marriages, at work, in the workplace, and certainly in church. We're not warring against flesh and blood. So for, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay, so if he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, what has he given us? Power, love, sound mind. So claim it and walk in it. There's power in what we say. There's power in what we proclaim. There's power in what we say. Well, I won't, we may get into this later, but there's power in what we say over others. What we say matters. What we say in anger, frustration, despair matters. Once it comes out of this mouth, it's in the atmosphere. And kind of like the internet, it's there forever. But unlike the internet, you can cancel it. You can cancel those words. You can cancel those words that have been spoken against you. You can cancel those words that you have spoken others or others can. So be aware of the power of the tongue. Amen. We'll blame it on emotions. We'll blame it on frustration. We'll blame it on whatever we blame it on. But ultimately, we are accountable for what we say. Accountable not to me or Pastor Lynn or Pastor Tim. We're accountable to God. So if there are words that we need to retract or renounce or cancel that we have spoken over somebody in anger, in frustration, do it now in the name of Jesus. We'll have a chance at the end of the service to pray for that. Cancel it. You can't take it back, but you can cancel it in the name of Jesus. Probably out of all of our word, all of our mouths, I would imagine at some point, and some of you may not have known you were doing it, probably in most cases didn't know you were doing it, but in some cases you did, that's called word curses. 
Those are things that can hold people in bondage, spiritual bondage for years. It's like vexing. It's a form of witchcraft. You're cursing someone. You've probably said it to your spouse. You've probably said, maybe said it to your kids. You maybe said, you're stupid. You're going to be a failure. You never get anything right. You're a loser. You're fat. You're ugly. You're whatever. And you say these things, they must be canceled in the name of Jesus, and they must be taken out of the atmosphere, or you have cursed someone. And that would mean that you yourself, again, probably without knowing it, are participating in witchcraft, which is of the devil. So there is a good side and a bad side to this story. Now, we know how it ends, but we're living it out now. And we are held accountable for everything that we do and that we say in our body. Uh, I've, uh, I'm just going to deviate to one other verse that is dropping into me here I'd saved. I wasn't sure where the Holy Spirit was going. But let me just say this. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. And it can be whatever, maybe New King James, since you're there already. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Do all of us have to? Is that what it says? For we must all appear. God is all loving. He will forgive us, by the way. But we need to ask for it. And with forgiveness... Is repentance, forgiveness and repentance. So this is not a lay it on heavy on you guys in that way. This is a freedom talk, actually, uh, and a, a talk of excitement. But it's because we will be and can be free in him. But we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. Sorry, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And I want to look at one other verse here, and we're going to jump in, because I got, oh, I got really a lot of stuff to share today. You guys tracking with me okay? Yeah. You still okay? So who are we not warring against? That's right. And what has God not given us? Instead, what has he given us? Yeah, you guys are really there. This is very, very, very important. I think Bible knowledge is good, but I'm not trying, it's actually essential, but I'm not giving you Bible knowledge today. What I want to be doing is imparting truths to you from the Word of God that will transform your life. Praise the Lord. So therefore, let's look at Psalms 139, 23 and 24, New King James is good. Psalms 139, 23 and 24. I was praying this this morning. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this message, and that might be better. Um, because then, then, then the Holy Spirit just rolls on in. Um, Psalms 139.23 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. 
Now that is a prayer. Oh, my goodness. Is that a prayer you want God to answer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Only God can know your heart. I can't. Uh, Pastor Lynn can't. Uh, he's pretty good in discernment, but he can't know your heart. Pastor Matthew, all, or others, your friends, even your husband or wife can't honestly know your heart. That's something that you need to have, that conversation, that prayer, that intimacy with God himself. And don't worry about it. You're not reaching real far into outer, outer limits here because you have the Spirit of God in you as a born-again believer. We often refer to the Spirit of God in us as Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit's already, I always say he's here. I don't really know where he is. Maybe he's all around, but he's here. So I feel him. And so Holy Spirit, ask Holy Spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So what, he's do, what you're doing there is you're asking him to search your heart. He knows our heart. That's all God wants, really, is our heart. Because once he has our heart, what will follow is obedience. If you struggle with obedience, he may not have your heart. We do have flesh. I understand that. The word speaks about ways to crucify the flesh, to die to self daily. So if we can't know someone's heart, then what is it we can actually see or understand? How do we know? We don't judge people, but what do we do? Any thoughts on that? We look at the fruit. So if we're looking at the fruit, are we seeing uh, the, the way the word would say it is the fruit of the Spirit? That's a result of having that intimacy, that surrender, that uh, relationship with the Lord. And then there's also the works of the flesh. And if you were to list out those works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, you can do for yourself a check to see where you are. And to check to see to what degree are you walking in freedom? To what degree are you actually play acting and actually just controlling maybe your mannerisms or your expressions? Or, you, or has your heart really been surrendered, submitted, and in obedience to the Lord? I've got a train of thought on that, but I'm going I'm to put a pause, and I'm going to take you in a little bit of a different direction. Do you guys know what a zeit, what zeitgeist is? Have you heard that expression, that term before? Zeitgeist. It's kind of a contemporary worldly term. Um, maybe cool people might talk about zeitgeist. It's a German, it happens to be a German word, but it is commonly used in the English language. And zeitgeist is, uh, literally translated is, um, well, geist in German means ghost. And zeit means time, like where we are, times, where we are, the times we're in. So, so zeitgeist means the ghost, or the, just like we say Holy Ghost, or we say Holy Spirit, you're right, kind of inter we interchange that term. Same thing is true in the German language. So geist can mean, it literally means ghost, but it can also mean spirit. 
So this is not a German-only phrase. It's actually in, in common vernacular. If you ask others outside of a church setting about what zeitgeist means, and what it means is the ghost of the times or the spirit of the times. This, guess what we as Christians hear that of as? The spirit of the age. So I want to talk to you about where we are in the world right now and just kind of, and I'll come back to these verses in a moment. There's a reason for this little detour. Um, here we go, zeitgeist. I pulled it up. I'm sorry. I am not usually one of these, like, look at my phone during an entire message, guys. But I just, I really didn't have that much time to prepare, so I didn't get it all typed out, so I just had a few things saved here. That are, but, but, it, but I'm not complaining. It was, it's better. Okay, so zeitgeist translates, uh, because by the way, I don't really like it when people look at their phone when they're preaching. So I apologize if I need to give you an apology. I think it's kind of tacky, um, personally. I'm a, little, I'm a little different generation, but... Uh, and it's not a security blanket. Isn't that funny? When you see people walking around. We, when we lived in Hawaii, it was a very, uh, ethnically, it was, um, it was very different than uh, Idaho. In Hawaii, Caucasians are absolutely the minority, and Pacific Islanders and Asian, people with Asian descent are the ma majority. And I don't know what it is, in every culture is a little different, different places, and many tourists from Asia too. And they would just walk around with their, way more than here, walk around with their, with their phones, even just as a security blanket, almost so you won't talk to me on the bus or walking down the street. So I'm not doing that. It's not a security blanket. I am secure in my identity in Christ. I'm not as secure in my memory, though. Okay, so Zeitgeist. Actually, God, in my name of Jesus, God's given me an excellent memory. The defining, so here's Zeitgeist. It's the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of the time. So what are the ideas and beliefs of the time that we live in today? What is the world, which is still commandeered or controlled by the prince of the air, what is the spirit of the world, or the spirit of the age, we would say usually in a Christian context, spirit of the age, what is it telling us? The spirit of the age, the spirit of the world, the zeitgeist, to use that expression, Cool people use that term, so we're probably not cool because nobody in this room knew that. It means, what's the thing, what's, what are we accepting now? And if you don't accept it, you hate us. Or you are, um, you're a bigot, or you're limited, or whatever it is. It's the spirit of the world, spirit of the age. What is it that the world is telling you is right or wrong? What's the zeitgeist? Well, the zeitgeist in the world right now is something we need to be aware of, but don't need to absorb. You know, we should know what's going on around us, but we don't have to take a bath in it. So it's okay to look at the news, but don't, don't bathe in it. Don't even ingest it. Eat the word of God, not the word of man. So let me share with you something else. Related to the time that we're in. I like this much better, and so will you, I believe. You may have heard of, uh, well, you know what chronology means, right? Like one thing after another, the chronology of events. Chronos, two, the Greek word for time, actually has two different meanings, but in English, when it gets translated over, is only one word, time. But there's chronos time, and there's kairos time. Sometimes you'll say a kairos moment. So Kronos, we're going to talk about Kronos and Kairos. Kronos time is what we think of mostly just as we live. It's 1, 2, 3, 4. It's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It's 3.30. It's 3.32. It's 3.35. It's 3.46. It's whatever time it is. In Psalm 90.12, 
Moses talks about, uh, Psalm 90 verse 12, talks about uh, numbering our days. And that's important to be aware of how we number our days. That's keeping track of the chronos time. And in that sense, both are very important. And both are gifts from God. We need a chronos awareness and we need a kairos awareness. All right, so... Uh, and I'm, I'm going to contrast that with Zeitgeist in a moment here, so I'll come back to that later. So, Kronos. Are you guys familiar with that term? I don't want to overdevelop it if you kind of you are. Okay, so in your Kronos responsibility, what, you, what we are responsible for is how we spend our time, what we're doing with it, not in a guilty religious way. I want to emphasize that. For example, I was thinking about this this morning. You could come from a church culture, maybe, that would make you feel guilty for having fun. I've, exp- I've actually had experience that at some point, that relaxation and recreation might be a sign of your weakness and your worldliness. No. God gave us these things to enjoy, and if you want to go snowmobiling, snowmobiling, go snowmobiling. If you want to go fishing, go fishing. If you want to, um, I like doing yard work. If you want to do, if you have arts and crafts, if you have hobbies or cooking or whatever, those things are actually very important because we are responsible for the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So even things like exercising, that's not vanity, that's responsibility. That's taking care of the body that God has given you. So exercise 45 minutes a day, a couple days, three, four days a week, five days, whatever it is, that's not a waste of time. That's a good thing to do. You're taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, If you're doing things like hobbies that allow you to recreate, creative things, arts, crafts, sewing, working on your car, working on your yard, you know, driving a tractor, whatever these things are that are fun and, and releasing for you, do not feel guilty doing those things as such. Yeah. Those are fine because what they're doing is they are going to refresh your, your soul, man. So we have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. The soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So your mind needs to be renewed every day. Yes, by the word of God. But you also need to sometimes just release these things out that are in the world that are coming in. Your mind is, a, is target number one for the enemy. So if you don't have your mind completely renewed, restored, refreshed, yes, with the Word of God, but even just the oxygen that comes from doing exercise and doing other things, you're going to, um, uh, uh, you're going to be a weak vessel. Holy Spirit in you won't be weak or stronger one way or the other, but you will be a weak vessel and you will not be effective for His kingdom and for His glory when you leave the doors of this room. So, when I say we are responsible for how we spend our time, hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that, you know, things like exercise is bad or having hobbies is bad and you've got to spend eight hours a day in your prayer closet and you do those things. I'm definitely not, I'm not saying that. That's not important, but it is part of the balance that we have and we need to stand before God in what we do with our time. But, you know, let's use this example. In 45 minutes, you could burn 45 minutes in Facebook like that or even YouTube, or just flipping through some of these things. 45 minutes, what would, and and there's been no yield, no impact, no benefit. In fact, if anything, all it's done is emptied your mind and potentially put other things in it that are from the world. So protecting our mind and being aware of what's going on around us and managing our chronos time is important. Many of us have already heard things like this before, so what I'm saying to you may not be all that surprising. So chronos time, we will be held accountable Our days are numbered. Our time on earth, Psalm 39, verses 4 to 6, he's referring to there. The psalmist is, our time on earth is brief. I think it's in James. I don't have the reference here, but somewhere in James he talks about, but your life is but like a vapor. Right? You have vapor. 
It just goes away. Don't waste it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy it. Doesn't mean you should become a monk or a nun and live in a cave. But don't waste it. Be aware of what you're doing with it. And the purposes are for God's glory because that's why he created us. Now here's where I'm really going with this. So we've got zeitgeist, which is the spirit of the age. It's the time that we're in. It's what the world tells you where we are. Really, the world sets the standard of where we are, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, what's attractive. That even changes. I, when I was in business um, in the 80s and 90s, still wearing, we were a suit and tie organization, and you I would wear ties. And we were actually told what kind of suit we had to wear. You could only wear a white shirt. We all look like morticians. But uh, no offense, whoever you are, <laughs> there it goes. Uh, we love them. Uh, and then, but, but you had liberty on your tie. So your tie was the way you could express yourself. But for men who have ever worn ties before, you know there's narrow ties and wide ties, and they kind of come and go, and the styles sort of come and go. Um, so we, we we're aware of the time of the ages we're in. So that's style, that's the world, that's telling us what's right or wrong. Is this, you know, do you tuck your shirt in or do you not tuck your shirt in? You know, those things, those things don't matter per se, per much, but some of the things the world tells us does. So be careful of following the spirit of the times because it's lies, it's discouragement, it's meant to, it's meant to perpetuate the agenda of the enemy, which is to uh, lie, kill, and destroy. So you want to be careful of the spirit of the age that we're in. All you had to do if you went to that movie on Monday night on the 13th um, to go see some of you. Did anyone go see um, Come Out in Jesus' Name? Okay. Oh, not so many. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to that maybe in a minute. But anyway, all you have to do is walk through that theater and you're looking for the movie room you're going to go into and you see all these other things that are the spirit of the world talking to you. The names of those movies and the others that are playing there. They even had one called Demon Slayer. Isn't that ironic? That they would have a movie called Demon Slayer, which was not about the same, that was not the movie we were looking for in that case. That's kind of a sweet irony there. Okay, so I don't want to lose you. So we got Zeitgeist, the spirit of the world. Don't want that. That's not of God. But, but, we, but we are not, but remember, the word does say that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So let's not, I'm careful, I don't want to stand in the wrong place, Dave, and get zapped here with sound. Uh, but this is a dead zone here. So what we, we don't want to be a church that hides. We don't want to be Christians that live in a hole. We, are, we have everything, every tool, every power, every weapon at our resources in the Word of God by, and, and, and by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So if we find ourselves shrinking back, if we find ourselves walking in fear, doubt, or confusion, we need to be asking ourselves why. We can be doing that first quick self-check. Okay, is there something I'm doing to contribute to this? Or is there something else that's coming against me that I need to address? Okay, full stop on that. I want to come back to times. So the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age is going to tell you uh, almost exactly opposite of what the Word of God tells you. You can do your own little self-check. What's the world say? What's God say? What's the world say? What's God say? And the spirit of the age will start using words and putting new definitions on them. What you say matters, and what words mean actually matters too, and you can't cover up with just a new label on something. You can't put a hot dog in front of me and call it a hamburger and expect me to believe it's a hot dog. Or hamburger, I mean, excuse me, right? You can't do that. But yet the world is doing that almost every day. So the Russian aircraft earlier this week that dumped um, 
fuel on a drone. Were you guys tracking that in the news? Did you see that? So we had a drone flying over the Black Sea uh, under the area of the U.S. European Command. And it didn't, the Russian fighter jets did not like where our spy drone was going. And in confronting it, they conducted what most of, in any other time, any other zeitgeist time, you would have said was an, was it a, was a, uh, an act of war on the United States of America over international waters, destroying a U.S. military aircraft. And we have redefined that to be pilot error. That the Russians didn't really mean to do it. They dumped thousands of gallons of fuel. One jet dumped it onto this little drone thing flying around and then flew by and clipped its propeller and it crashed into the sea. An act of war against the United States of America was referred to uh, and interpreted as pilot error. Just for fun, I'll mention the weather balloon story, right? Flying across the United States of America, already identified, maybe there were others in the past that weren't identified, but here's one that's identified and just flew across all that. That was not an act of war either. So be careful what you listen to. You need to have that discernment on, be paying attention. Doesn't mean do not respond in fear. We serve a God of hope, power, victory. We do not need to be getting nervous about this stuff, but we need to be translating it, translating it from the spirit of the times into the spirit of God, using the spirit of God, allowing the spirit of God to translate that for you. And if you ever need a sanity check, look at his word. Okay, so now here's what I really want to talk about. Sorry, my mouth is a little bit dry. Um, so we have the zeitgeist, spirit of the times, uh, where good is called bad and bad is called good. We have chronos time, which is more in our context, what we're thinking about, and that's it's 3 o'clock, it's 3.30, it's 4 o'clock. Oh my goodness, the day is gone. What did I do with it? Did I take care of myself? Did I take care of somebody else? Or did I honor God in some way, or hopefully all, in all of those ways? How did you use your time today? Your thought time, your emotion time, so your soul man. Remember, your soul is your, your mind, your emotions, and your will. I'm just touching these parts, but I think of emotions as here, and I think of your will as here, just because it's like your gut, it's what you desire, this is what I want. And so your mind, your will, and emotions. Was what you entertain today in your mind and your will or your emotions, do they honor God? Or do they love, or were they, was that time used to love or care or tend to others? Or did it defile you? Did it defile your mind, your body? Which was it? So Kronos, we are accountable for what we do in our time. Now here's where I'm going to go though, is Kairos. So Kairos is a time that we're in. There are Kairos moments in history. And I want to uh, share this with you this way. It's where God has done things. Think about when Jesus, after he was tested in a desert, and he came in um, to town, and he was preaching the gospel. He says, the kingdom of God, I don't know if he said the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in that case, but the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the beginning of his ministry, and the kingdom of God is at hand. That was a Kairos moment. That was a time of shifting. That was a time that shifted, actually, all of eternity. Now, the example for illustration purposes I'm going to use is not the same value, but it's one you can easily picture, is a pond. We have a small 10 by 10 pond in our back of our house, but you can just picture a pond. And if there's no moving water, it's a still pond, okay, no water moving. And you pick up a little pebble, 
and you take that pebble and you drop that in the pond, you're going to see that little pebble. Well, it will go in, but then it's going to cause ripple, 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 ripple effect. That's the way I think of Kairos moments, is when you see a pebble, it goes in the pond water, and it causes a ripple beyond what's immediately obvious. Do you know that pebble that if you saw it, you picked it up and dropped it in the water, and you were walking, we have a gravel driveway, and you were walking on the gravel driveway, you wouldn't even feel it under your foot. But that pebble, when recognized for its potential, is then dropped into that little pond of water. It has a purpose. First of all, it does sink, but then it causes the water to ripple, ripple, ripple out. So what is a definition, an easy definition of Cairo moments? I mean, you can really, this could be a whole sermon. I don't want it to be. I got other stuff to cover. But it's important to recognize. We are not, don't wait for the Jesus, Jesus entering a town to say we're having a Kairos moment. I believe there are Kairos moments that we are living and breathing every day, even in the time that you walk from here to wherever you're going to have lunch, but we miss them. We miss those moments that can change eternity, can change the trajectory for people for all time. Because when you bless someone, we just saw a man baptized up here today. What is that going to do in his family lineage? And, 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 and as a support church, we'll come together, we'll walk with him as he goes through his walk and his rededication in, 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 uh, in his Christian faith. But what is that going to do for the generation after that, the next generation, the generation after that? That's a Kairos moment captured right there. I should have mentioned that in the beginning, right there. That is a Kairos moment, having a baptism. What you do with it is going to be up to you, but it's still a Kairos moment because then it has that chance. We all, every day, these are not moments only for pastors. These are not moments only for those that are spiritually like oomph people. It's for everybody to not miss a Kairos moment. Now, I'm here to tell you now, though, there's a lot of small ones. But just like that little pebble that could be dropped in the pond or Jesus walking in after coming out of the desert and he says the kingdom of God is here, that's a big one. But we don't want to miss any Kairos moments. We know that when God, when God recognizes we can be trusted with the small things, he will give us the bigger things. And so we don't want to miss any opportunity to glorify him or even allow ourselves, it shouldn't be a self-motive, but to be blessed by recognizing these Kairos moments and recognizing each little pebble that we can pick up as we go along the way because we could miss it. Now, in a general, and I, I would say honestly, let me just share this with you this way. I, I mean, probably Lisa and I had a couple of Cairo, my wife Lisa, probably had a couple of Kairos moments even the other day. We were eating Mong Mongolian barbecue at that place in Eagle, and we, were, and we, missed, we, may, have, we may have missed a moment. We were looking at it, but we, we were, I'm not sure, but let me just give you an example. There was a person who was, uh, looked in a very bad emotional state, a woman who maybe was in her 40s, looked like she was with her son who might have been 20. They were getting takeout at this Mongolian place in Eagle. All right, and... The person looked like they were, this woman looked like she was maybe crying or we first thought maybe manifesting, but no, it looked like, like grief, like or maybe she was sick, like was she, you know, um, like going to vomit, was she sick or what? So we kind of watched her as she kind of walked by the window, she left the restaurant, walked by the window, they got in their car, son got the takeout food and went. That could have been a Kairos moment. We could have walked up, and I'm just transparency, okay, we could have walked up and said, can we pray for you? We didn't. There's many moments like that. And I can be guilty of that. <laughs> Lisa picks up stuff all over the place, spiritually. And she'll say, what do you think about this? What do you think? Like, no, no, no. But sometimes in my logical side of me, I can miss the Kairos moments. Because I'll say, no, she's probably not sick. Well, her son's there. He's 20. He looks happy. He looks fine. They're not having an argument. 
They've got money, they've got food, they've got a Lexus parked outside, everything must be fine. Well, people who drive Lexuses need prayers too. So I hope my transparency, I haven't planned on saying this, Lisa, sorry. I hope, hope my transparency is useful for you because when are we missing these Kairos moments? What are the moments that just pass us by? I think every altar call is a Kairos moment. Don't miss an altar call. How many times have you said to yourself, oh, it took me 33 years to get to the altar. How many times have you said to yourself when you hear an altar call, well, that's not really me. Well, did pastor say I, this or did he say that? Or he said six things, and I'm not sure if any of those six things qualify. Respond to altar calls. Receive prayer. You have no idea. Well, you may have some idea. Some of you in this room right here. How many Kairos moments happen at this altar? Things that have changed the trajectory of time and eternity and your destiny. Because you responded to a Kairos moment, and you came forward and you received prayer for healing. You needed wisdom. You received a prophetic word. You needed deliverance. You received whatever it was, and you came forward. And you then, you're trying, I'm, I'm going to keep my span going like this so I don't call anyone out, but there are people who have received dramatic um, redirects by the Holy Spirit and the power of God because they have recognized a Kairos moment, even if they didn't know the terminology for it. They came forward, and because of their obedience, it became a Kairos moment. So if you're looking for a quick definition of Kairos moment, I would call it opportunity. It's an opportunity. What are the opportunities that are there for you? Now, it's not only what you get to give to others to pray for people, and I use that example, but no, let's start at home first with you. As a church, let's not be as busy assessing other people's spiritual... I'm not, saying, I'm not saying we do this per se. I'm just... This is the, you know, the consciousness here. Let's not spend as much time trying to assess someone else's spiritual condition or spend more time assessing someone else's spiritual condition than we spend on assessing our own. Let's not be quite as concerned about who goes up for prayer, healing, deliverance, this, that, whatever you see happening up here, as opposed to ourselves. These are Kairos moments, moments that sometimes require great courage and bravery and, and, and a selflessness, a desperation. Do you know, if you look at the miracles in the Bible, whether you're looking at healing, whether you're looking at deliverance, oh, leprosy, these guys coming through, there was a des uh, healing or deliverance, um, and even the father who wanted his daughter raised from the dead, there was a sense of desperation. It was not casual, it was not passive, it was not like you're watching a TV show and you're waiting for the next commercial break so you can go to the bathroom. You, it is something that is active. Now, I want to encourage you, church, that our Christian faith is to be active, it's to be participatory. God gave us free will. He did that so that we could respond to Him, to respond to His love. He forces nothing on us. Even the Holy Spirit, you may have heard this said, is a gentleman and will not force things on you. So it takes a reaction, it takes a response on our behalf. And so let's just talk about the Kairos moment for ourselves, and I'm going to just draw this zoom lens here and make it really big. What is going on around our country right now? What kind of Kairos moments are we seeing? Are we seeing a revival in America? We saw what was happening at Asbury and several offshoots of that, and that's very, very exciting. We're seeing... Um, we are seeing an intensity of ministry that we have not seen in the American church 
Maybe ever, I'm not sure, but certainly not in, in any of the history I can recall as it relates to deliverance. And it's interesting because you see it happening in that movie I was referring to earlier, Come Out in Jesus' Name. It's probably some controversy associated with it, but uh, a little bit. But the idea here is critically important. If Jesus cast out demons, why wouldn't we see demons cast out in church? Are we really believing? Or do we, do you, would you actually believe there are no demons in this room right now? You believe there's no demons in this room right now? No. So why would demons be comfortable in this atmosphere? Brother Ron says they're not in this one. <laughs> and, and we see that. I want to tie up a couple of points here because I know I'm going, to, I'm going to run out of time. We are seeing something in the American church we haven't seen. And for those of us that are my age, I'm 58, we've often wondered why the American church is powerless. Probably people of my generation contributed to that. Because we want a church to be, so think, you know, you're talking about someone who was an adult in the 90s and the early 2000s. We wanted a church to be attractive. We want a church to be safe. We want a church to not offend us because we're going to hear something that might, you know, make our coffee macchiato shake around or something. It didn't fit with popular culture. It didn't make us feel good. In fact, it made us feel bad. It made us feel uncomfortable. It made us feel convicted. And so church models shift very much, shifted very much in the 90s and even in general, in a general sense, across the evangelical charismatic realm. Even Pentecostals watered it down. And so no longer were people speaking in tongues. You were no longer seeing the miraculous. You know, seeing these things because we became more, in, uh, more involved and more concerned with fashion than with faith. So what did we look like? What did, how did people see us? Versus how did, it, how did even the room look? Well, there was some joking. And I don't want anyone uh, uh, who loved the carpet that was here before. Quite honestly, I liked it. Not because of the design or the pattern so much, Pastor Ruby. God bless you. Because it showed we were not that interested in appearance. We were more concerned with substance, power, fire, the Word of God, His presence. So I don't mind having new carpet. Thank you. God bless you. This is great carpet. But that's not the point. A sound system's getting some upgrades. Great. None of that saves anyone. None of that, none of that, none of that casts out demons. None of that. All the other man-made things you do in churches, and I don't know if we're going to put smoke machines in or not. I've been in churches with smoke machines. It's fine. But all of that is doing is creating an atmosphere that should be created by the Holy Spirit. I would say turn on the cafeteria lights in here and let us have daylight and let us just enjoy the real presence of the Holy Spirit, not the fake man-made version of it. So we are in Kairos moments here. No longer time to play church. How many of you... Oh, I don't want to... I don't want... I don't... When you raise your hand, don't think I'm going to do like the new visitor thing. It's not that. But just out of curiosity, how many of you have been coming here less than a month in the room? Keep your hands up less than two months. Keep your hands up less than three months, less than four months, less than five months, less than six months. Keep your hands up. Everybody hands up. So almost a third of the room, okay, a little more, let's say seven months. Eight months, okay. So we're saying a third of the room at least, at least a third of the room has been coming here, who's here today have been coming here less than six months. Amen. Amen. And welcome, by the way. And was it our advertising? Probably not, because we don't advertise. 
Was it our sign on the interstate? Probably not, because we don't have a sign on the interstate. But if an express plumbing sign ever comes available, that's a great place for one. Um, is it because our... It, now, remember, we serve the Lord with excellence. I'm not knocking technology. I'm really not. And, and we had come from a church that was really a very fine church, had a huge budget, and everything was like... I would be... You would have a mark on the stage if you're coming up to give a testimony. Let's say I was a pastor and I was asking Christy to come up and give a testimony. There'd be a mark on the stage and we would rehearse it beforehand and say, this is where you stand. And then this is where you stand. And the liberty that Pastor Lynn and others give themselves, but also me in this case, time-wise, if I said it was going to be three minutes, it had to be three minutes or two minutes or one minute. And it's all very structured. We met, it was very managed, very well administrated. Uh, and, and so praise the Lord. We're doing things for excellence, but we managed the Holy Spirit right out of the process. Because we proved we could do all of that without the presence of God. So these Kairos moments that we're having in this church, these are remarkable. We had healings on Friday night. I've already heard the phone, we couldn't be here, but I heard the phone testimonies from some individuals. We had a demon cast out on Friday night, and it wasn't even a deliverance service. Because it was the power of God, it was the presence of God. It's not a ritual, it's not a routine, it's not words, or sure, there's prayers you can pray and so forth. No, it's not that. It is the power and presence of God, and then those that he, that are his people walking in power and authority that they've already been given, that's when you see healing. You know, the Bible didn't say pray for healing. It said heal them. Heal the sick. He didn't say pray that a demon will be cast out. He said cast them out. He gave you that power and that authority. So this is something now I think that we're in a time. So this is a, the bigger Kairos moment I'm talking about. I've used a little pond example. That was us individually, okay? Now I'm talking church and I'm also talking country. Where are we Kairos moment-wise in this country? We're Kairos moment-wise. We're a movie like um, uh, Come Out in Jesus' Name as an example in a theater because the American churches have, in some cases, maybe mismanaged this. I understand that. So we're, we're, we're walking with boldness but circumspectly in this church. Um, but in many cases, when it comes to things like deliverance and even saying the word demons from a platform would be something that would just freak people out. Why bother telling you about demons? Because you're Christians, you couldn't have demons anyway. Why would I waste your time? If you believe that, I understand there's some doctrinal final you know, details there that are very important. And it, and it generally uh, comes around the area of the term possession. Make moment, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm kind of twisting here a little bit, but make no mistake when you see, this is a good time to say this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. How many of you have been in this room, again, I'm not going to call on you for anything, I just want to see hands, and have seen uh, a deliverance, what you believe it was a deliverance anyway, some kind of manifestation occurring at the platform that was not Holy Spirit manifestation. How many of you have seen that in this church? Good. Okay. How many of you have seen it in any other church you went to? Okay, some of you have. All right, good. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that if not done with maturity and compassion can become theater. So we have, we have very experienced, very seasoned pastors uh, on our staff. This is a senior, senior pastor and Pastor Rich, the dean of the School of Supernatural Ministry. And we're raising up pastors uh, as well. There's a, lot of, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot we're doing right. 
because we're allowing the presence of God, we're allowing the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide what we do. Now listen to this. We have done, deliverance in this church is not new. I understand I've been here four years and we have a breakthrough ministry and so forth. That was about a year ago. Oh, you know, it might have been two years at this point that Pastor Lynn stood here in a December, so probably two years ago, December, and said something to the effect that he sees deliverance coming to this church. And then he established breakthrough ministry, put Lena in charge of that. And we started to have a combination of inner healing. And the, we won't have time today to go into all the distinctions between inner healing and deliverance and how they go together, but they're very closely related, uh, inner healing and deliverance. And so quietly in the background, that ministry has been serving faithfully. Uh, Lena has stepped back, and the interim director of the Breakthrough Ministry is Linda Poutre. Where's Linda right now? So praise the Lord. Let's give Linda some appreciation for how she's stepping in. But those are people who already recognize something's wrong. Whether, whether they need inner healing or prayer or, or a healing rooms we have on Monday night, and that's good when you recognize something's wrong. What happens when someone comes up to this platform and they don't even realize that there's something wrong, and because the power of God, the presence of God is so profound that the demons are agitated and then just start to come out? So we started to experience that. So Pastor Lynn almost, I don't know, I haven't actually asked him about this. I don't know if that was a prophetic word you were saying or if it was a desire of the heart or you recognized a need. I mean, I'm not sure which of the three it was. But it was spoken from this platform into the atmosphere. Then, in June, excuse me, July of this year, July 18th, a man of God named Jonah Coyne gave a prophetic word over this church. Do you remember the word? Just raise your hand if you, or do you guys even know who Jonah Coyne is? That's kind of that youth group guy. Sorry. Once you've been associated with youth ministry, you're always that youth group guy. But although he's a powerful man of God, do you remember his word? Yeah. I figured you probably didn't. That's why I'm going to read it to you. All right. So Jonah Coyne, after coming back from a youth conference and, and, and being the speaker at Pastor Tim and, and Tribe and all that, come back. This man, this is the kind of person you want leading youth group stuff. He was up here getting ready to preach, and he said this. You ready? Yeah. This is July 18th of this year. So although we had seen deliverance in this church before in, in the mechanisms I'm describing to you, and, and maybe prior to four years ago, um, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have the history. There may have been manifestations at the platform, I don't know. But it wasn't a common way we did business. If that was happening, someone could be escorted out and you could deal with it privately by those that were entrusted by the senior pastor to do so. But here's what Jonah Coyne said on July 18th of this year. He said, I want to release a word for you pastors. This is a transcript. I want to release a word for you pastors. I believe, so for the pastors, I believe right now you're about to step into a season of the greatest signs and wonders that this church has ever seen. And Father, I thank you. Now, by the way, he, when John Harkey comes, how many of you have heard John Harkey speak before? He moves in the prophetic. Okay, now we know we're all to prophesy. Some will work, walk in, a, in a, a, a greater anointing, or some will even walk in an office like prof, uh, prophetic, like John Harkey does. It's an office. He walks in that. So everyone listens. Everyone gets their phones out. Jonah Coyne comes here. Half people don't even remember him. Don't even know his name. Don't know his face. Couldn't tell me what he said. Probably, honestly. Sure. Listen to what he prophesied over this church. This is what's beautiful about what we teach in our school 
and about that we can, we can pray, we can, we, can, we can pray for people, we can also heal the sick, we can cast out demons, and we can prophesy. I want to release a word for you pastors. I believe right now we're, we're about to step into a season of greatest signs and wonders that this church has ever seen. By the way, some of the grammar in here, he was, he was prophesying, so the, the, the grammar's not exactly correct sometimes. I'm reading it as it was spoken. Um, this is a direct transcript. And Father, I thank you. I had a picture of people leaving their demons in bags at the door. And I saw the usher and greeting teams dragging sin and throwing it all out the door. And I heard the Lord say this. So he's got a prophetic word for the church. He sees it in his mind. And I heard the Lord say this. This is a house of transformation. This is a, not a behavior change, not of just trying to do better, not of just trying to, you know, not break the rules. Transformation. That means you are fundamentally changed from the inside out. So he sees this house as a transformation. This is a house of miracles. This, I don't know how many hundreds of churches are in Treasure Valley, and I'm not trying to pump this church up too much as far as we don't want to become, we don't want to become uh, arrogant or, or inappropriately prideful. But if we can boast on God and what he's doing in this church, we should. We shouldn't hold it back. And we need to start preparing ourselves because just like we saw a third of the people in this room have been coming for less than, what did I say, six weeks, six or seven weeks, months, sorry, months, thank you, months, we're going to see more and more and more. This is a time for this church to get ready. We got to shake off the heaviness. We got to shake off the fear. We got to shake off the oppression. We got to shake off the infirmity. We got to shake off the addiction to sin. Because we will be that army that's rising up for his purposes, not for our glory. But I don't need any glory. The humility, by the way, that our pastors walk in in this church. All of you have been to another church, almost, I would imagine, right? Some of, well, I don't know, Dale, you were, probably, you were born again in this church. You, Dale, you might be the only man who has been only to this church, <laughs> possibly. Okay, but probably everybody else has been to it. Raise your hand if you've been to another church. Okay, so more or less everybody. Okay. Oh, so humility. God shows favor upon the humble. Our senior pastor emeritus and his wife, Pastor Ruby and Pastor uh, Rudson, Norm, Pastor Norman Rudson. That's an example of humility. You might, many of you may not even know who they are. And they're right here from the ground up. We just honor you. We, rec we recognize. I only know a fraction of the story. But if I had to even repeat that fraction of the story, Pastor Ruby and Pastor Rudson, I would have tears in my eyes. The sacrifice, the turmoil, the pain, the agony, even the abuse that you had experienced. And you pushed through with perseverance. You ran the race. Boy, if there's ever anyone that's going to hear, well done, and good, well done, good and faithful servant, it's going to be you too. Okay, I'm making a sermon out of another sermon. But that, that's, that's, well, the point here is very important. 
This is not about Pastor Tim and Pastor Matthew and even, even to some degree Pastor Lynn who's been a past senior pastor for a decade. It's about God, number one, and two, him showing his favor upon servants who have emptied themselves out for his purposes, for his glory, for his acclaim, and for the advancement of his kingdom. And that's what we see in our pastoral staff. It's not about them. It's not a poster on the interstate of their own face uh, or something else. That's what God will honor. That's what God will move. That's why in our Wednesday night classes, for example, where we're teaching on deliverance, um, actually we're, talking, we're teaching on discerning demonic spirits. We've already had, you know, Pastor Matthew and I haven't tallied the official count, but Lisa and I were trying to do that. We're on week six now. We just had week six. There's week seven and eight of an eight-week course. We've had probably 26 different occasions where we've had demons cast out. And these are from born-again believers. They were not oppressed. Sorry, they were not possessed by demons. They were afflicted by them. Now... Gosh, I've got to watch my time. Because it's very, very important that we recognize the difference between possessed. Because many people will say Christians cannot be possessed with demons. That's true. Because Christians are possessed by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's in your, in your, in your, in your body, in your spirit man. So you've got a spirit, you've got, you got your soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you've got your uh, body. However, so Christians are not possessed. The problem comes with the translation from the Greek again, I guess, because of the, how the words get translated over. Possessed implies ownership. No. You are owned by God. Amen. If you are a born-again, blood-bought, baptized in the Holy Spirit Christian, you are owned by God. You need to have no fear, no trepidation, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. That's all from the devil. You belong to God. But somebody else wants you back. And if they can't get you back... They're going to make life hell for you. And we can participate in that, in that hell, by having open doors and how we, how, we, how we allow that access. Let me finish the prophetic word to show honor for this prophetic word, and then I'm going to wrap up uh, on this issue of, of uh, where I'm going with some of deliverance. So, Jonah Coyne. He said, he's already said, I, I had a picture of people leaving their demons in bags at the door. This really resonates with me, by the way, and, and I won't have time today to explain why. And I saw the usher and greeting team dragging sin and throwing it out the door. And I heard the Lord say, this is a house of transformation. This is a house of miracles. I was getting ready to ask you when I said, how many of you have come from another church? How many miracles did you see? M maybe you did. I mean, salvation's a miracle in itself. So let's not forget salvation, very important, the most important miracle. How many others? We belong to, I thought, a good church where we were. We didn't see the kind of miracles we see here. Uh-uh. We've come up to a new level of healing ministry in the last year or two. We were doing healings here before that, too. And now it's the acceleration is visible, it's tangible. And if you don't see it, or if you don't care, you're missing a Kairos moment. Because I'm telling you right now, every Sunday you step in this door, we don't know what's going to happen next. You are walking and living in a period of time where change is happening so quickly. Yes, around the world for the purposes of evil, but God has put a finger, his finger, I'm thinking of that scripture, he has put his finger on this church for whatever reason, praise the Lord, and we are seeing more here now. We will be Mountain West, we will be the, just as Hungry Gen and some of these other churches are things for the Northwest and Southeast, and you got Greg Locke's church doing its thing, you got Mike Signorelli in New York City and in Chicago and Indianapolis, that's the fastest growing church in America for the last three years. You've got all these things going on, breaking out across the United States. Yeah. I claim that Amen. for Valley Church. Yeah. 
that this will be that place. Now that vision had been long since already received and uh, acted upon by Pastor Lynn when he had the vision this should be an equipping and training center for uh, this region. And, and it has been. But I see in another layer, another level, and another intensity that's going to that's gonna come. That balcony won't hold everybody. And I would, I would like to believe we'll remain a one-service church. If you want to get in the doors, come early. Before our other church expanded in Honolulu, Hawaii, they had one service. You'd have to get there a couple hours beforehand to get a seat. And they were perfectly fine having a line down the street, and they didn't feel any obligation. They just did church there, and they did it well. In fact, when they expanded is when they lost a little steam. Spent a lot of money, a lot of focus on the building and expanding it, tripled in size, and the congregation went, went down by a lot because it was more focused on the building, the structure. That was the legacy that was being focused on as opposed to the legacy of people. Churches' legacy are not established by buildings. They're established by people. How are people different because they've come into these four walls? So here we go, Jonah Coin. One more, and I am, I promise, within five minutes. I just see, uh, so now this is very important. And I hear the Lord say, this is a house of transformation. This is a house of miracles. This is a house of transformation again. I just see over you, Pastor Lynn, there is a deliverance anointing. I don't know if you remember that or not. There is, and I didn't until someone brought this to my attention either. I just see over you, Pastor Lynn, there is a deliverance anointing coming on you that is stronger than ever before. And Father, I thank you that even in Idaho, politicians are going to be calling this church. I just prophesy and declare in the name of Jesus how to bring Christianity back into our schools, back into neighborhoods. I hear the Lord say neighborhoods shall be transformed, not just people coming into the church, but the church going out into the neighborhoods, Kiki and others. We prophesy, we heal, we deliver, we evangelize. Amen. I think I'm missing one. I see meth addiction being crucified. There are people who have been delivered in this house, and again, I'm keeping my gaze very broad right now, who have been freed from meth addiction who are in this room right now. And I thank you. And I thank you that the least of these and the worst of the worst, the least of these and the worst of the worst will come and receive your power. Father, we thank you for, for the Saul to Paul encounters, for Saul to Paul encounters taking place in this church. Father, I thank you. God, like Brownsville, God, would be a, God there would be a line wrapped outside this church for people waiting to get into this church. Father, I prophesy, I declare that souls will be saved, that this would be a church that burns for souls to be saved again. Not just Christians sitting in pews, no offense, uh, not just Christians sitting in pews, but for the lost to come home. We just saw that today in a baptism. A man, was his name Robert? Was that was it Robert, was his name Robert? Praise the Lord. So he appeared to have known the Lord at some point. Maybe he had been baptized. I'm not, I don't, really don't know the story. But regardless, we know how it ended up right there in the baptismal pool. That's what we're talking about. You want to come to church and have church? That's what we're talking about. Not just sitting around and feeling good about ourselves. Feel good about ourselves. But what about what impact are we having for the kingdom of God? Okay, the word continues here. Not just Christians sitting in pews, but for the lost to come home. For people to be saved. God, I declare over every family that their sons and daughters would be saved. 
God, that their extended families would be saved. For the greatest depth of transformation that you paid for. Where did he pay for that? What will we be celebrating in two weeks from now? I don't want you to ever look at Easter the same way. Don't cheapen the blood and turn it into Kool-Aid. And that's what you're doing when you don't believe that you can be healed by someone who lays hands on you. That you don't believe that you can be free when someone lays hands on you. That you can, that you can receive other things. You can receive a word. You can be prophesied over. You can receive a word of knowledge. Right there on that cross. I look at it all the time. I don't think there's a Sunday. Now, that might have been the Roman Catholicism in me. But I would say when I was, but that's not a shrine, it's not an idol, it's a remembrance of what was done on the cross for us. Oh, we stroll into church. Do we want to go to church now or do we want to go hunting? Do we want to, oh, I know it's blasphemy in Idaho, but do I know, real, that's a tough one. Okay, so, but the blood. We thank you from the lowest to the highest valley church, valley church, the river that flows. The river that flows in Idaho is this church. Father, I thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the masses. We bless Pastor Lynn and Pastor Renee and the leadership team here at Valley Church. Amen. amen. Let's give that an amen. Amen. The devil wants you to pay attention to your feelings. Jesus wants you to pay attention to his truth. If you're not walking in freedom right now, there's no reason that you can't have that freedom five minutes from now. If you're being tormented, the tactics of the enemy range from temptation to, I won't even go through, I won't have time to go through all the things that we're teaching in our class. We're not teaching people how to do deliverance. We're teaching people how to receive deliverance so that it's viewed in a healthy, wholesome, non-spooky, no shame. Are we cheapening the blood of Jesus by believing that we should be walking only halfway in freedom? That we should be born again and we're still struggling with voices in our mind? Temper tantrums, fits of anger, Word curses over people, you idiot, you fool, you're fat, you're ugly, I hate you, I never want to see you again. Whatever, word curse is very, very big deal. And this one, oh, I can't finish without saying this one. And this is, might be where we actually end. Um, is unforgiveness. Now, I won't have the time to walk you through the whole parable of the, um, the man, the servant who did not forgive when he had just been forgiven. And, but let me bring it up here. If you want to hear the story, uh, go to Matthew 18 and read it yourself when you get home. Matthew 18 walks through this pretty long. It, uh, <clears throat> it starts up at, uh, where does it start? 18, oh my gosh. Uh, verse 1821. We don't need to pull it up right now. Matthew 1821. Read it to the end of the chapter. But that's where the servant, the short version of the story is, a servant uh, uh, can't pay his debt to his master. 
the master is kind in forgiving him, forgives him the debt that would have taken a lifetime, 10 lifetimes, whatever it was, to pay off. Forgives him the debt. Then the servant goes over here and says, you owe me some money to one of his people who owe him money. And, he, and the person begs and pleads. And Ronnie is there on his knees. and He's saying, Rick, please, please forgive me of my debt. And I didn't forgive him. So the idea being that if we don't forgive those who have sinned against us, this is really important. This is really important. This is not just a Christian, like a, like a to-do list thing. To really understand. Here's what scripture reads starting at, at verse 33. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? This is the master now talking to the servant who didn't forgive the other guy. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That's the question. Then the angry king, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. You are actually subjecting yourself to God's displeasure and torture by not forgiving others. If you don't forgive, if you don't remember anything else today, remember this. So verse 35, that's what, this is Jesus talking. This is a red letter part of the Bible. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I don't know. That, that never spoke to me the way it does now. Oh, you got it right here. That, and look at that. That's what my heavenly Father, well, God loves us. He has standards. One of the things that in, when Lisa and I have been conducting ministry, I haven't polled the others that do deliverance ministry. I think I may have heard this online somewhere too, but I know in our own personal experience, breakthrough moments occur when something's harassing you. It could be in your emotions. It could be in your mind. You're hearing voices. You're seeing things. You're, you're having sexual and perverse dreams at night. and you, Other things. You are doing things you don't even want to do, but you're, do, you're living life third person. Meaning it's, it's like an out-of-body experience. Things are happening to you. You're doing them, and it's like you're watching a movie, and then you come back to yourself again. When you're having those kind of experiences, those are not of God. Those are not His intentions for you. So what we found in our ministry, in ministry time, and I'll, I, I will get some more statistics for this, what we found is that the breakthrough occurs when people confess, well, one, confess their sin, most of us know that to do that. But what many of us forget to do is to grant forgiveness to others. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. Uh, so I'd like to close with this here. Just as the prayer team comes up. If you want freedom, freedom takes many different forms. And you may not in your mind at this point be ready to even ask for deliverance ministry. That's not what we're asking. You may not even need deliverance ministry. So we're not talking about that right now. What we're talking about is, do you want a breakthrough? Do you want a first level breakthrough? One breakthrough leads to another. Do you want the finger of God to touch you? Do you not want to be in that place of torment that we just saw in Scripture? God has no intention of you being in torment by his own hand. 
He's already told you what to do. Release unforgiveness. Now there is probably nobody in this room that can say they have forgiven everybody in their life. Now maybe top of your head, you might be aware of, oh yeah, this person I did forgive, I did forgive, I did forgive. I would ask you to ask the Holy Spirit right where you're sitting at this moment. Ask Holy Spirit, who have I yet to forgive? You might be surprised what Holy Spirit uh, reveals. Because for many of us, we'd say, oh, if I had remembered that, I would have forgiven them already. Ask Holy Spirit, who do you need to forgive? Who have you held this on? You know that forgiveness does not punish the person who you're holding it against. Unfor sorry, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness punishes you. It holds you captive. It holds you, actually, it holds you a prisoner. Jesus came to set the captives free, but by the word of God you just saw there, he will hold you prisoner if you are not releasing someone in forgiveness. So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to ask you to come up. But just let your hearts, let's just let your hearts, just reflect on this and say, say just ask Holy Spirit, reveal to you. We're going to take about 10 seconds to do this. Reveal to me. Who do I still need to forgive? Oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, I realized something very bad had happened to me that had um, actually, I had not recalled, but it was revealed to me by the Holy Spirit, and it required forgiveness. It was intensely personal. Intensely. And I walked through forgiveness with that person. But it was not something I carried around with me every day, but it was still there. It was hidden. It was sneaky. If you want the chains of unforgiveness broken off of you, I'm asking you to stand now with me. Just go ahead and stand. And I'm going to pray. Go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray a prayer. Do you just pray in agreement with me? And then we'll have a time of ministry time up front. But first, stay where you are, and we'll just be praying. Just allow this moment quietly, Lord. Actually, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me if that's okay, right? Let's go. So I say, Father, forgive me for my unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, I ask you now to reveal to me any and all that I need to release. And I need to forgive. I no longer want to be a captive to my own unforgiveness. I forgive all of those who have hurt me, who have betrayed me, who have lied about me, who have abused me, and even those who have tormented me. Forgive them all right now in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, I hold in great value the power and the sacrifice that is represented by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Forgive me, Father, 
Forgive me, Father, for putting myself in your place and determining who gets forgiven and who doesn't. Forgive me, Father, for judgment in my heart. Forgive me, Father, for offense. Now, in the name of Jesus, I release all unforgiveness and I break any offense in the name of Jesus. If you'd like to receive prayer, please come forward now. If anything else needs to break off of you, any chains need to break, this is a time. This is a time now. Just go, come forward. The prayer team is ready for you. Come forward. This is a time to get those chains broken off of you in the name of Jesus so you can walk in freedom, power, and victory for God's glory and for His kingdom to be advanced right here in Treasure Valley. Don't miss this Kairos moment. Come forward now. Don't miss the Kairos moment. Come forward now. Come forward now in the name of Jesus.